This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, February 17th. I'm Mary Margaret Olihan. And I'm Doug Blair. America's elites are selling out their country to the Chinese Communist Party. Politicians, athletes, filmmakers, and others from the highest echelons of American society have decided it pays more to kowtow to the Chinese regime than it does to support the USA. Peter Schweitzer, author of the new book, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, exposes how even President Joe Biden's family is involved in this scandal. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Peter Schweitzer, let's hit our top stories of the day. In a letter to the National Archives released on Wednesday, President Biden rejected executive privilege claims made by former President Trump and ordered that White House visitor logs be provided to the Special Congressional Committee investigating January 6th. In the letter, Biden counsel Dana Remus wrote, The president has determined that an assertion of executive privilege is not in the best interests of the United States and therefore is not justified as to these records and portions of records. The National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, has stated it plans to comply with the order. NARA sent former President Trump a letter on Wednesday explaining that barring an intervention from the courts, it would give the logs to the committee on March 3rd. NARA is scheduled to provide former Vice President Mike Pence's records as well on March 3rd. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization's Secretary General said Wednesday that Russia is continuing to build up its military around Ukraine contradicting Russia's claims of pulling troops back from the Ukrainian border. We have heard the signs from Moscow about readiness to continue diplomatic efforts, said NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, according to the Wall Street Journal. But so far, we have not seen any de-escalation on the ground. On the contrary, it appears that Russia continues its military buildup. This comes after Russian President Vladimir Putin confirmed reports on Tuesday that Moscow would begin partially withdrawing troops from training areas that are near Ukraine, according to Fox News. Stoltenberg also said Wednesday that Russia is still capable of launching an invasion of Ukraine without warning, though the U.S. and NATO have both said that they are cautiously optimistic following statements from the government of Russia. The city of brotherly love is loosening its COVID-19 restrictions. On Wednesday, Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney and Health Commissioner Dr. Cheryl Bedigal announced the city would stop mandating COVID-19 vaccines for restaurants. The pair also unveiled a new set of guidelines for managing restrictions in the future. Here's Bedigal via ABC6 Philadelphia. As of today, we no longer need to ask our city's dining establishments to check vaccines. The new response levels are based on case counts, positivity, hospitalizations, and the rate of change in cases, and they'll provide transparency into what city residents and business owners can expect going forward. The four categories set out by the new guidelines are extreme caution, caution, mask precautions only, and all clear. Currently, the city is in the mask precautions only category, meaning that restaurants no longer need to check vaccination status. The change goes into effect immediately. Three members of the San Francisco School Board have been ousted following severe backlash from furious parents over the city's slow reopening of schools and its plan to rename 44 of its schools due to their alleged racist ties. One school the board took issue with was named after Revolutionary War hero Paul Revere. The board objected on the grounds that Revere was part of the Penobscot Expedition, 
A Revolutionary War armada, the board said, was connected to colonization, according to the Daily Signal. When the board was called out for this mischaracterization of history, school board president Gabriela Lopez replied, So for me, I guess it's just the criteria was created to show if there were ties to these specific themes, right? White supremacy, racism, colonization, ties to slavery, the killing of indigenous people, or any symbols that embodied that. And the committee shared that these are the names that have these ties. And so for me, at this moment, I have the understanding we have to do the teaching, but also, I do agree that we shouldn't have these ties, and this is a way of showing it. Parents launched the recall effort in January 2021, according to the New York Post, arguing that school board members were putting ideology and politics over the needs of children. During a special election, the school board president, vice president, and commissioner were each stripped of their position, tallies by the San Francisco Department of Elections found. The city's mayor, London Breed, a Democrat, had backed the recall effort and said that parents were fighting for what matters most, their children. The voters of this city have delivered a clear message that the school board must focus on the essentials of delivering a well-run school system above all else, said Breed. San Francisco is a city that believes in the value of big ideas, but those ideas must be built on the foundation of a government that does the essentials well. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Peter Schweitzer as we discuss how America's elite sold the country out to China. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute and author of the new book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, available now wherever books are sold. Peter, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Doug. Thanks so much for having me. Seems like an obvious first question to this would be, how do American elites get rich helping China win? Well, the, for one thing, they provide them political cover. Um, that's something that China craves. So you get uh, people in Silicon Valley, Wall Street, or in Washington, D.C., who minimize the threat that China poses, or they uh, dismiss concerns about human rights. Uh, but there's other support they provide as well. Um, they provide, in some cases, uh, investment or tech support in ways that actually enhance the Chinese military. And of course, that military is directing uh, its firepower at the United States. So it's uh, political help, but it's also real material help in terms of helping build up their military. And why do American elites do this? Is this an ideological thing, or is this more for financial gain? Uh, good question. It's always hard to know individual motives. Um, I think for some people, certainly the motivation is financial. Uh, when you look at some of the political figures highlighted in the book, uh, Nancy Pelosi, for example, uh, Dianne Feinstein, the Bidens, I would say that the financial motive is important uh, because um, they always could uh, use more money, and they don't have scruples about these kinds of arrangements. In other instances, when you're talking about Bill Gates, who's worth $100 billion, it's hard to think that financial motivations are key. So I think in a lot of cases of instances like Bill Gates, uh, there's this, in, in a sense, almost admiration for the efficiency, as they call it, 
of the Chinese dictatorship. They admire the fact that the government gets things done so quickly because, of course, there's no checks and balances. Uh, so it's a combination of uh, financial but also admiration for the Chinese uh, dictatorial system. You mentioned the Bidens, and I thought that that was just so fascinating that the president's family was involved in this as well. Can you maybe elaborate a little more about how the Bidens play into this story? Sure. Uh, China has a strategy called elite capture, um, and the idea is they want to capture, as it were, the elites of the United States uh, to, in effect, neutralize the United States from challenging some of the things that they are pursuing. Uh, in the case of the Bidens, uh, these commercial ties really began when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Uh, Hunter Biden went to Beijing looking for financial deals. And what we found is that the Bidens have received some $31 million uh, from four Chinese businessmen. Uh, the story takes an even more dramatic turn when you realize that those four Chinese businessmen all have links to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. Um, so clearly, this is an example of elite capture, a strategy that the Chinese government has employed to create a financial bond or connection with the Bidens, this very powerful political family, uh, in the hopes of gaining leverage over them. And I think there's pretty compelling evidence that not only did these deals go through, but they have actually achieved some semblance of leverage uh, over the Bidens, and it's affecting America's policy towards China in the Biden administration. You mentioned that you have evidence of this. Would you be able to share some of that evidence? Sure. Uh, the evidence of the flow of money is pretty straightforward. It comes from two uh, primary sources. One is the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, the second one uh, is a collection of emails, uh, the email accounts of one of Hunter Biden's business partners, a guy named Bevan Cooney, who gave us access to his Gmail account. And that lays out the deals that they secured and who are the people that actually made those deals happen? And as I said, we named the four individuals and we show their links to Chinese intelligence. That's all very straightforward. When you consider the Biden approach to China, it fits in perfectly with what China is expecting uh, from those that they uh, have captured, as it were. Uh, the strategy uh, translated to the English is uh, big help with a little bad mouth. And what that basically means is they don't expect uh, those politicians or political figures with which they have commercial ties to, uh, you know, hoe to some party line. They expect there's going to be a little bad mouth. So the Biden administration may say something about the Uyghurs or it may say something about human rights. Those are not of concern to Beijing. What Beijing is looking for from political elites that they've captured in the United States is help on the really big matters. And for China, those big matters are basically unfettered access to Western capital markets, which means Wall Street investments going to China and China being able to invest in the United States. Uh, and the second thing they want is uh, basically unfettered access to uh, American technology. Uh, they are getting both of those. There's really no effort by the Biden administration to pursue policies in any of those areas. Uh, those policies were begun under the Trump administration, but Joe Biden has essentially reversed them. So it's pretty clear that Beijing is getting exactly what it wants uh, from the Joe Biden administration. The Daily Signal has done some coverage on some private firms that have done business with China as well. Um, one in particular, BlackRock, consistently pops up over and over and over again. And the thing that we always got was that they were sort of doing this willingly. They were willingly engaging with the Chinese Communist Party in hopes of making money. 
Is there that tie there between the government's not doing anything, the Biden administration isn't doing anything, and these companies are willingly engaging with the Chinese Communist Party? No, I think it's a good question. I think, yes, uh, a lot of uh, firms take their signal from Washington, D.C., and if they feel that Washington, D.C. is not going to sort of rein in their behavior, uh, they're glad to engage in it. And a lot of people are surprised when they, when they realize that you know, these capitalist firms, so to speak, like BlackRock, uh, are engaged in commerce with China. But, you know, look, they get sweetheart deals because the Chinese economy is so politicized. The government is so dominant. If you get cozy with the government, they are going to ease you into very lucrative positions. Uh, and BlackRock really, I sort of think, laid down the gauntlet in 2017. There was a very crucial a vote that came up involving companies listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. The Chinese Communist Party said, we want all the companies listed in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange to write into their corporate governance rules that they will comply with the edicts of the Chinese Communist Party. So, I mean, this was a clear power grab by Beijing. Um, this, of course, required that the shareholders of these Hong Kong companies actually vote in favor of this. So BlackRock, of course, is a massive fund manager. Vanguard is a massive fund manager. Vanguard said, no, this is a terrible idea. We don't support it. They voted against it. BlackRock actually voted in favor of it. So you literally had the biggest firm on Wall Street vote in favor of giving the Chinese Communist Party veto authority over corporate decisions in Hong Kong. And that, to me, is a stunning representation of where BlackRock is. They have decided, in effect, that they are happy being business partners with the Chinese Communist Party. It's not going to be bad for business. And even if it benefits Beijing and damages United States national security, they don't really care. What are the security implications of these close-knit relationships between both American elites in the government and American elites in the private sector? Well, I think for American elites in government, it means you're not going to get a, a robust policy uh, that challenges uh, China. Um, and let's be clear, China's made clear that they uh, expect to and are planning to supplant the United States as the world's superpower. They want to remake China in their own image. So you're going to get policymakers that um, are not going to challenge them or take uh, policy uh, decisions that are going to uh, challenge uh, Beijing. When it comes to private actors like corporations, you've got all kinds of investors and corporations in the United States that are literally financing China's military buildup. Um, so Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, as I point out in the book, uh, he and Warren Buffett are both early investors in a company called BYD. BYD is a Chinese tech firm, and among the things they do is develop uh, – missile guidance uh, launch technologies uh, for the Chinese military. Uh, you have uh, other instances where Blackstone, the big uh, New York investment private equity firm, is a shareholder in JD Logistics, uh, which is a company that does massive amounts of logistic work for the Chinese Air Force, uh, helping the Chinese Air Force project power into the Pacific region. And of course, they're projecting that power towards the United States. So these are the kinds of very real problems that we run into. Yet another industry that you call out in your book is big tech. Obviously, big tech has been a very large target for conservatives recently because of their censorious behavior. But in your book, you specifically talk about Facebook, Google, and Tesla. What exactly are these companies doing to engage themselves with the Chinese Communist Party? 
In the case of Facebook, uh, they work with Google uh, to build a, um, a, a fiber cable that was supposed to link um, Hong Kong with San Francisco. Uh, that project was stopped by the FBI and the Department of Justice in 2019 because it would create unprecedented opportunities uh, for Chinese spying on American citizens. Now, Facebook had to know that. I just think they didn't care. And there are numerous other examples where they have uh, aided and abetted the Chinese in other ways. Uh, when you look at uh, Tesla, um, Elon Musk used to be very critical of Beijing. He has now uh, taken a much more pro-CCP line. Uh, he's said that the Chinese government is actually more responsive to the needs of people than, uh, uh, than the America's representative governments. But you also have to have the very real problem that Tesla now, of course, is joined at the hip with China. They, they have a big manufacturing plant there, uh, and the CCP is getting access to Tesla technology. That has a very real effect because Tesla shares certain common software components with SpaceX, another one of Elon Musk's companies. Uh, and that company, of course, launches American military and spy satellites. So they're very real national security concerns. And these uh, large big tech firms minimize the threat that China poses, while at the same time providing very real material support to their military. Something that comes up to me as we're talking about this is there seems to be just so, so much financial incentive behind this. Is there any data to indicate how much money we're dealing with here with some of these people receiving funds from the Chinese? Uh, it's hard to know how much money they're making uh, because of the way that it's reported. Uh, but it's clearly massive sums. Um, the big firms on Wall Street all point to uh, their belief that China is the biggest growth market. They see the future in China. If you look at Tesla, for example, in their filings uh, to shareholders, uh, their growth trajectory is all pretty much predicated on its market share in China. Um, and that's the problem. Look, we, I understand the need for businessmen to be mindful of building their companies, but if they're doing it at the expense of national security of the United States, if they're sharing critical technologies with our chief rival on the global stage, we have a massive problem. You know, during the Cold War, uh, the notion that American technology firms would be doing massive business in the Soviet Union uh, would not have been accepted. Uh, and I think really, unfortunately, the only reason it's accepted in China is China is a bigger, more vibrant economy and the profits are greater. But we have to understand that we have our priorities wrong, that there are very real, dangerous, medium and long term consequences if we continue to subsidize China in its competition with the United States. They view the race in technology as a war. It's a war that they intend to win. And if they win, President Xi of China has said that they will they will seize the commanding heights in the geopolitical competition with the United States, uh, and that is not a good place for us to be. Returning now to something we talked about a little bit earlier, which is the political angle to this. We have people in the highest levels of government who are in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. Fascinatingly enough, your book explains that there's people on both sides of the political spectrum, both conservatives and liberals, Democrats and Republicans. How is that possible? It seems like those philosophies are so disparate. How would they both be involved with the Chinese? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's ultimately not about philosophy. It's about money. Um, it's not a red issue or a blue issue. It's a green issue uh, because, again, it's very lucrative. And so 
Um, you know, oftentimes these deals come through family members, through a spouse or through a spouse's family. Uh, and, and if you are friendly to Beijing or they, they want to uh, capture you, as it were, uh, they will give you very, very lucrative deals that can make you enormously wealthy. If you look at Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of uh, California, you look at Senator Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, in both instances, their families, their extended families, uh, have received hundreds of millions of dollars in deals uh, from Beijing. And these are deals that are directed by the government, and it creates very real leverage now that Beijing has over those family businesses, meaning uh, if uh, those politicians, uh, Senator Feinstein or McConnell, did something that truly upset Beijing, uh, they could literally destroy the family businesses overnight. Um, and that's the kind of leverage that Beijing wants over American politicians. And uh, they have it too often in a way that is very, very dangerous and undermines the ability of those politicians, in my mind, to independently assess and make the tough decisions that need to be made to counter China. My final question for you is, do we have any data-driven evidence to suggest there is a way to counter this? Have we seen in the past that there are strategies that have been proven to work in sort of removing elites from this idea that prioritizing China over America is a good idea? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to uh, publicize and provide the scrutiny that allows people to know that this is going on. A lot of people are stunned when they hear about this. And it just has not been widely reported enough. I think we then need to go from exposure to, in a sense, shaming, uh, in a way, these political figures that are engaging in this behavior. Um, I think there are good people on Capitol Hill uh, who uh, have a very clear-eyed, sober view of Beijing and the threat that it represents. These are individuals that don't have financial ties to China. So we need to have our political class resist them. Uh, we need to eliminate uh, the ties that exist um, because it does undermine the decision-making process. And I think we have to have a broader conversation about uh, Wall Street and big tech. I mean, the idea that, that America's best firms like Microsoft and Google would be subsidizing research in artificial intelligence in China in laboratories that are linked to the Chinese military – and when China has identified artificial intelligence as the key area where they need to win if they want to defeat the United States, we have to take aggressive action because we're running a race against China. And in effect, our best companies are providing a boost to China to help them run faster in this race. Uh, if we allow that to continue, we will ultimately lose this race and there will be massive consequences for all of us. That was Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute and author of the new book, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, available now wherever books are sold. Peter, very much appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to The Daily Signal podcast. You can find The Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.